Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and the college baseball season is getting underway this week. So we are going to spend a significant portion of this episode talking about just that college baseball, particularly through the lens of draft prospects who will be playing this season. As a matter of fact, we'll have one on the show. Maybe the most, I don't know, would you go as far as to say this is the most intriguing college baseball player entering this season, guys? Paul Skeens? Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's sure. fair. He's, he's going from Air Force to LSU. He's a, he's a two-way prospect, although he's going to get drafted as a pitcher. It's the number one team in the country. He's going from Air Force to the SEC. Yeah, I, I oh, man. I'll, I'll sign off on that. Yep. All right. We're going to talk to him. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Desert Invitational, Major League Baseball college baseball tournament out in Phoenix, where Jim will be on hand to broadcast several of those games. We'll talk some baseball that's not related to college baseball as well. Last week, we went back a couple years and looked at predictions that these guys made about who we would be talking about, which prospects we would be talking about now in 2023. They they predicted each team's number one prospect. And as we saw last week, they did a pretty good job. In several instances, the player who is now the number one prospect for a team was drafted since we partook in this exercise. So uh, they couldn't have possibly gotten those right. But among the ones they could get right, I think, what was it, about 50-50? Yeah. Is that what we came yeah, up with? Yeah, I think somewhere around. Yeah, and, and, and many of the ones we missed, I think we had the number two guy. So. Yeah. So now we are going to look ahead and try to predict who will be each team's number one prospect in 2025. We're going to look ahead two years. And then we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. All right, guys, college baseball season. I know uh, you're both excited about this. It will, over the course of the next several months, obviously impact how the draft unfolds in July. What are you guys most excited? excited about? What are you most looking forward to? What are you keeping your eye on as the season gets started this week? Well, I mean, I think, you know, from our standpoint, we're always kind of, you know, really focused on the chase to be the number one overall draft pick. And, I, you know, I think there's a clear top three right now, the, you know, candidates who are maybe a, a tick above everybody else. And Dylan Cruz, the outfielder from LSU, Chase Dolander, the right-hander from Tennessee, and White Langford, the outfielder from Florida. You mentioned Paul Skeens. He's right on their heels. I, you know, Another SEC guy, Jacob Gonzalez, shortstop at Ole Miss, could be in that mix. So you know, just I'm curious how that's going to shake out. 
And the SEC, I mean, not that this is news, but like seems, you know, as loaded as ever. Not only are the top five prospects on our draft top 100 from the SEC, so is number eight, Vanderbilt outfielder Enrique Bradfield Jr., who's the fastest player in the draft. And so is number 10, uh, another transfer, Florida right-hander Hurston Waldrip. So I, I, I guess for me, I always kind of look at, look at it through the draft lens. Um, and, and I'm curious how that, that number one pick's going to play out. Cause I think there's, it, it's not that there's a lack of candidates. It's just, that there's a lot of good ones. Yeah. And no, I would agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm always curious to see who's going to make that leap forward because, uh, it may be one of those top few guys who ends up being number one picker in the conversation, but invariably there, there are a couple of players, uh, you know, college or high school. Uh, but since we're focusing on college who, take a that step forward and there may be uh, guys who are a little bit further down on our on the top 100 we put out you know uh, in december uh, who jump into if not number one pick conversations then you know into that top 10 so i'm curious to see who does that uh, i'm excited for this year because last year was such a down year for college pitching uh, both from performance and particularly from an injury standpoint that there weren't any college arms who really uh, were talked about much uh, at the top of the draft. So I'll, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how these guys do. One of the, one of my favorite things, you know, looking at college baseball from a draft perspective is checking to see, you know, how did the Friday night guys all do every week? And, and uh, you know, you don't recalibrate after every single start. Uh, but, you know, could a Hurston Waldrop, who's number 10, if he's going out and he's lights out each and every weekend and maybe Chase Dollander has a bad start or two, although I don't expect that to happen, uh, could Waldrop sort of float up into that conversation? So things like that uh, are things that I, you know, always catch my eye as we get going here. Jim, you, you specified all the SEC guys at the top, but even more broadly than that, this is this is a really college heavy top of the top 100 prospects list that we have, isn't it? It is. And, and I think that's because one, I think the college position player group is really deep. And then I think two, you know, the high schoolers, Max Clark and Walker Jenkins, high school outfielders, Clark from Indiana, Jenkins from North Carolina, they're the top of high school class. And those are legit, legit top of the draft guys. I don't know that there's another obvious top 10 overall pick right now, Jonathan. I mean, Guys like Aiden Miller, who we saw play great out at the you know All Star Game and all the various activities last July, and Blake Mitchell, who's a catcher from Texas. You know, th- those are probably the next two guys, but I don't think you know, they're necessarily going to go over established college hitters. And I do think the high school pitching class is a little thin uh, relative to most years, and so you don't have you know there isn't a Dylan Lesko or a Brock Porter that we had last year right now you know, vying with the top college pitchers to go at the top of the draft. So, yeah, I mean, a lot is going to change. But when we did our list in that came out in December, nine of the top 11 guys were college players, um, you know, and I, I didn't count up the whole top 30, which is roughly the first round. But, the, you know, it was something like, I don't know, 22 or 23 of the top 30 guys were, were college players. Jonathan, you, you mentioned looking forward to seeing who makes that jump and – you don't have to look back very far to have a very good example of a guy who made a huge jump, Jackson Holiday, last year. You guys remember where he ranked on this version of our draft list last year? 
He was in the 50s, right? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, I think he was like 58 or something like that. Ended up number two on the list. So yeah. uh, certainly does happen. So yeah, looking forward to that. Well, we will be uh, watching closely this weekend the MLB Desert Invitational, which you uh, may be familiar with in its uh, former iteration, the MLB Four. It used to be four teams. Uh, it has expanded now. This year's. I was going to say they should call it MLB Seven, Jason. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's. It will remain seven. Uh, they could just change it every year, whatever, however many teams. It's like the uh, the Oceans franchise in the movies. Just just keep adding numbers. Exactly. But yeah, seven teams this year, uh, starting with Tennessee, Michigan, Michigan State, Arizona, Fresno State, uh, UC San Diego, and Grand Canyon. Did, did I get all seven there? I think so. You did. And then they're using three different parks. They're using... Salt River Fields, which is the home of the Rockies and Diamondbacks, mm-hmm. uh, Sloan Park, which is home of the Cubs, and then Grand Canyon is hosting a couple of the games, including one of the the MLB Network uh, broadcast when they play Tennessee uh, Saturday evening. Yeah, so these games are Friday, February 17th through Monday, February 20th. You can watch, what is it? four, seven, 11, 12 games, all on MLB.com. You can watch for free. Three of the games will be on MLB Network, two on Friday, uh, UC San Diego and Grand Canyon at one o'clock. Those are, those are local time. So that's three Eastern, I believe. Is that right? What, where, where are we now in terms of- uh, Mountain time. Okay. And then uh, Arizona, Tennessee, also on Friday, uh, both those games at Salt River. Uh, and then on Saturday, Grand Canyon and Tennessee will be the MLB Network game. Also, uh, a couple of those games that I just mentioned, UC San Diego, Grand Canyon, and Grand Canyon, Tennessee, uh, will be streamed on ESPN Plus as well. So a lot of options for you to watch there. And Jim, you will be on the call for several of these games. And I know there is a uh, a nice allotment of top draft prospects to watch here. Yeah, it, you know, we have seven top 100 prospects um, at the tournament. That, that's just counting this year. I mean, there's guys who are going to be high picks in the future, too. But yeah, we, we mentioned Chase Dolander as a potential number one overall pick, and he'll be I, – I don't know that Tennessee has set their rotation. I would assume he'd be their Friday guy. There's a chance he could pitch Saturday. But regardless, he'll be on one of the MLB Network games, so it'll be fun to watch him. Uh, I think he's the best pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg and Garrett Cole. You have to go a ways back. Tennessee also has one of the top transfers in the country in shortstop Malihuna. Uh, he's a potential first-round pick. He's number 22 on the top 100. Michigan State has you know one of the better pure hitters in the country uh, in Mitch Jeb. He's a shortstop. He's pro- you know I got him projected as kind of a second-round pick right now, I, I think is where we think he'd go, maybe a sandwich pick, but he can really hit, and it wouldn't shock me, given the emphasis we've seen on on just the hit tool over everything else, and you know, and he's not a one-dimensional player. He could sneak into the first round, but, but all that said about Mitch Jeb, Jonathan, he's not the best pure hitter in college baseball, and he's not quite the best pure hitter in this tournament because there's some, some talented players from the, from the western part of the country as well. Wow, look at you teeing me up. This is he. He's already getting his uh, his broadcasting skills sharpened. I'll have to go to the broadcasting voice, though. <laughs> I don't really do that one, but that's, that's pretty good. I haven't heard you do that one before. Uh, that's reason alone to tune in uh, is just to hear Jim wax 
eloquent about uh, college baseball. Yeah, Jim, you need to use that voice for the entirety of the tournament. That's correct. I don't think it'll last, but uh, uh, yeah. So you, you're teeing me up so I can talk about some guys uh, on the West Coast, starting with Grand Canyon, which I guess is sort of a host because they're hosting some of the games. Uh, Jacob Wilson, who's number nine, uh, was number nine on our draft list. That's Jack Wilson's son. Um, yet another reason for us to feel old. Uh, you know, is a guy who he, you know, he said he's number nine right now. It wouldn't surprise me if he floated up just because of that pure, that pure hit tool, uh, and the ability to play shortstop, uh, which even though he doesn't run well, uh, I think he, he has uh, a lot of the same skills that his dad had, who wasn't exactly a burner, but was a very good defensive shortstop. Uh, but he can really, really hit. Uh, he, he struck out seven times last year, all year. I mean, it's like a, it's just a ridiculous number uh, to, to comprehend, you know, even as an amateur. Um, but I think a really cool added thing is that Jack uh, went uh, to Grand Canyon and serving as an assistant coach this year. Uh, so that's pretty cool. But uh, he's not the only good Grand Canyon player with bloodlines. Homer Bush Jr. is also there. And in some ways, uh, he's one of the more intriguing uh, draft prospects. We had him at 88. Uh, unbelievable tools, a lot more raw at the plate. Uh, there was a big up arrow next to his name after, after the fall. There's a lot of raw power. He makes, it, he makes contact, uh, but he, he can get very aggressive. Uh, he can get himself out. Has a ten, had a had a tendency to just hit the ball into the ground and use his legs, uh, but there there's some ability to drive the ball there, and I think this Desert Invitational could be the start of a of a coming out party. Uh, and he was a guy I think we may have even discussed on the podcast that I had circled as a guy who could make a huge leap uh, into you know the the top say two rounds uh, of the draft. Uh, additionally, Arizona's got some some very good players, Chase Davis. Uh, is a is a talented outfielder who's been on our radar for a while. He was uh, a top 100 guy uh, in 2020, but uh, didn't get drafted. You know that was a shortened draft. He's gone on to Arizona. A ton of raw power. I think if he can can make uh, some more contact and get into that power, uh, he's going to be a, a, a very interesting uh, power potential college hitter. Uh, one who maybe has a chance to to stay in center field and then. Uh, you know, I guess Arizona's guys are a little more enigmatic, for lack of a better word. TJ Nichols was their Friday night starter last year. You know, should be in that role again this year. Really, really good stuff. Still kind of uh, tall, projectable righty. A little inconsistent with the strikes. Uh, if he takes a step forward, he's one of those college arms that will probably uh, float up into the, the first couple rounds as well. All right. That is the MLB Desert Invitational. Uh, like we said before, you can catch all those games on MLB.com. Also, uh, three of them on MLB Network, a couple on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, we'll have a full preview up on MLB.com slash pipeline, probably by the time you're listening to this. So check it out there. You can see uh, the lineup of top draft prospects that will be available to take in there. And you can listen to the dulcet tones of Jim Callis on those broadcasts. Uh, someone that we will not be seeing there, but we are looking forward to seeing in action soon is LSU right-hander and potential number one overall draft pick, 
Paul Skeens. We're going to talk to him coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And a special guest joining us today on the podcast is Paul Skeens of LSU, right-hander, number four on our top 100 draft prospects list, uh, a potential 1-1 option in the upcoming draft. Paul, thanks very much for joining us. Appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And we are recording this on the Tuesday prior to uh, the weekend of you guys kicking off your season. You've got to be uh, pretty geared up right about now. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's it's exciting. So before we will kind of trace your path to where you are now, but I want to go back a little bit kind of, well, I wouldn't say the start, but let's go back to at least high school. And you went to El Toro High School in Southern California. Great program there. Um, I know uh, Coach Mike Gonzalez has been there for over 20 years. Some pretty familiar names to baseball fans have come through that program. Arenado, Matt Chapman, Austin Romine. It's a pretty good, uh, pretty good third baseman there. What was your experience like playing in that program? Um, it was cool for me. It was a journey, kind of like a, a 180, I, I think, from my freshman year to my senior year. Uh, my freshman year, I went in, wasn't super physical. I was a good freshman, but not I mean, I was on the freshman team. I, I didn't, you know, play on varsity. I didn't, even my sophomore year, I didn't really play on varsity. And throughout that time, I was, you know, playing for Mike Gonzalez, as you said. Like, I mean, he's a legend in every sense of the word. If, if you know SoCal High School baseball, you know him. And he pushed me, helped me develop as a man, as a, as a baseball player. And th- those four years that I spent there were awesome to be able to be with him, you know, day in and day out and be with the people that were in my class and, and just develop so my freshman year, I went from a, you know, an okay freshman baseball player to my senior year. I was good, and I was I was getting a lot of you know college interest. Obviously, committed to Air Force my junior year, and that's really all I wanted to do. I saw that Coach Gonzalez said that you were six one as a freshman. He said, "I don't think I've ever had a player grow as much as he has." You were what six? I think we have you listed as six six, but I've seen you listed as six seven, and you were you were about that size at the time. By the time you graduated. Yeah, and even I think the beginning of my freshman year, I was probably like five ten, so I, I grew a lot. I think I was six six when I graduated. I'm uh, I'm still waiting for my growth <laughs> spurt to kick in. <laughs> Paul, Jim Callis here. I was just curious. 
you know, obviously getting to the Air Force Academy is a very prestigious, you know, thing for for any student. How heavily were you recruited baseball wise coming out of El Toro? And could you compare that to how uh, heavily you were recruited when you entered the transfer portal <laughs> this past summer? And uh, a little addendum to that question, how much did your Team USA teammates, Dylan Cruz and uh, Trey Morgan, try to recruit you to Baton Rouge when you were with USA Baseball? Yeah, so I'll start with that last question. Dylan and Trey left me alone. I think uh, Coach Johnson told them to leave me alone um, <laughs> and just, you know, not like just let me be a little bit. And so I definitely saw how they acted and, you know, took some stuff about LSU from, you know, their actions while we were at USA, but they didn't actively recruit me really. So, and then going back to your previous question, it was pretty much a, I I got some college, you know, interest probably going into my junior year was, was when that really kicked up the whole time I was in high school. I, I knew I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. I mean, it was between either Air Force or Navy, but it wasn't like, a, you know, UCLA. I, I talked to them. I talked to Stanford. Like, none of those schools really interested me um, in high school. And I didn't, I didn't go around. I didn't go to Jupiter or anything like that. I didn't play in front of the schools. You know, I, I couldn't have gotten recruited by LSU, for example, when I was in high school. And so then this past uh, summer, it was a lot of, a lot of people came knocking, um, which was – it was cool – um, but it was kind of like trying to fit, you know, a multi-month experience or, or a year-long experience or something like that into like three weeks. So it was it was busy, but it was it was nothing like what I experienced in high school. Paul, it's uh, it's Jonathan Mayo. So I guess the you know, the the question that stems from that is how did your mindset change? One of the things that I read is you know you obviously kind of entered Air Force probably not thinking about professional baseball much if that, if at all. So you kind of went from Air Force is where I wanted to go. I wasn't heavily recruited to then saying, all right, maybe it's time for me to, to switch gears. Uh, I would imagine that wasn't a decision that you came to flippantly or lightly. Could you take us through a little bit the, the process to, to decide to, to enter the transfer portal and how you landed on, on LSU when all was said and done? Yeah, I don't know uh, exactly when I made the decision that I wanted to put professional baseball first. It was it was some some point in the last year, but it was it was a tough decision because obviously I wanted when I was in high school I wanted to go and I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and I wanted to fly jets and I wanted to do cool stuff with multi million dollar planes like that that was very appealing to me, um, and even this time last year that was that was very appealing to me, and then I, at some point I realized that I have a real shot to play baseball for a while and you only get one shot at baseball. To be honest, you can be in the military for a long time you can have multiple shots at that so I kind of realized that if I wanted to do it you know the baseball thing like I had to do it right and um, so I realized that the Air Force Academy was probably not the best place to pursue a professional career you know given the the military um, restrictions and, and that kind of thing so obviously I entered the transfer portal and then when I got in there talked to a bunch of schools mostly SEC and settled on LSU just because the the coaches just seemed different. I, I I had played against Coach Johnson when he was at was at Arizona my freshman year. Uh, my coach from Air Force, Kaz, he knows he knows Coach Johnson pretty well. I didn't know how much of a stud he was at the time, but you know, coming on my visit and talking to him, just clearly had so much baseball knowledge and clearly wanted to you know make a difference in our lives individually, um, which was something that resonated with me. So that it was it was a pretty simple decision and then obviously watching how Dylan and Trey acted it seemed very professional and that was a I knew that was a program that I wanted to be a part of Paul uh, be honest with us here did you the reason you transferred is because when you got when you got there you realized you couldn't fit in the 
<laughs> you couldn't fit in the fire plane. I, I read that Mike Gonzalez said they were going to have to put a moon roof in the, uh, yeah. in, the in the plane. Yeah, I've actually had uh, I think two hours total in the back of a one hour in the back of an F fifteen, one hour in the back of an F sixteen, and I think in the F sixteen, uh, the flight dock kind of uh, looked the other way on it a little bit because I was about half an inch over the uh, the height requirement, and my I got in the plane and uh, my head was touching the the top, and so we're <laughs> like pulling I think 8.6 G's and uh to go back I couldn't go straight back with my head I had to like do a little maneuver and go around because my head was hitting the top I couldn't go like I just didn't fit Paul obviously you knew you were going to come to a talented program you had played with guys like Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan on on Team USA and LSU's a perennial power what has it been like when you get there and just seeing all the talent not just that they had on hand but that they've brought in I mean you're part of a you know probably the number one transfer class in the country with guys with Thatcher Hurd from UCLA and Tommy White from NC State, among others. The freshman class, I think, gets overlooked a little bit because of all the transfers, but Brady Neal, Paxton Kling, Jared Jones, Chase Shores, Gavin Guidry, I could go on and on. You know, Plus all the guys who were there already. I mean, how amazing is it to be surrounded by all that talent? It's awesome. And that's one thing that I, I knew coming in, that that would be a, a, a huge opportunity. Like, you said with the freshmen it's been really cool to watch them grow I mean all those guys that you mentioned are going to play for us uh, and they're going to make a difference on our team this year which is something that if I was in their shoes two years ago I couldn't say the same thing so it's really cool to see where they were in the fall and and where they are now it's like Chase Shores because I've I've worked with him a lot Um, it's, it's been cool to see him develop as a baseball player but also you know off the field you know adapting to the college life it's been really cool I'm right next to Paxton and Gidry in the locker room, you know, two very mature individuals. And like, it's, it's really cool to see, you know, Paxton and, and Chase and Gidry, all those guys kind of transition from being the, the new guys in the fall to now they're leaders in the locker room as 18, 19 year olds, which is, it's cool. Now, now Paul, Jason mentioned, you know, the, the height requirements for the air force that they don't have that for, for catching, but maybe, maybe they should, uh, and I know that you actually, uh, you know, as recently as last year, the Air Force, you, you did some catching. Uh, we spend most of the time talking about you as, as a pitcher, and that makes a lot of sense. But uh, are you going to miss catching? Uh, have you ever tried to go like all Bugs Bunny and catch, you know, throw to yourself? If you ever see, I'm dating myself by referencing a really old cartoon. But uh, just, you know, uh, maybe sort of talk about giving up that part of your game. I know you're going to keep hitting. Uh, and how, and maybe a little bit about how catching has helped you on the mound. Yeah, I miss it for sure. I caught the Sunday game last year and it was cool because the pitcher that we had last year was a freshman who pitched on Sundays and getting to work with him, getting to manage him through games. I called my own game at Air Force, which was really cool. Just the leadership aspect of catching is something that I really love. And, you know, guiding a pitcher through an inning. And then I, I want to say the last regular season game that I caught uh, was a 10 nothing shutout that that freshman threw. And so it was, it was really cool to see him develop throughout the season, you know, from the first time I caught him to the last time I caught him. But all that stuff is, you know, something that I'm going to miss about catching. And people have asked me a couple of times in the last couple of weeks about it. And I, re- I think I realized how much I miss it. But to be honest, I don't miss all the, the side work that goes into it, you know, blocking in the cages and taking balls off the forearms, but all the other stuff, catching the game, I, I really miss. Paul, on the topic of pitching and hitting, how would Paul Skeens, the pitcher, attack Paul Skeens, the hitter? 
Oh, man. I would have to say two seamers up and in and go slider off that, change up off that. Now, is is that based on, is that based more on you as a pitcher or what you think would be effective against you as a hitter? I would say 50-50. I mean, that's my MO against righties as a, as a pitcher. But that, kind of, I mean, it kind of plays into what I am as a hitter. But if I'm hitting, I'm sitting dead red on, on those pitches. So I think that'd be interesting. Paul, what are you looking to work on this spring? I mean, obviously, you guys are number one team in the country. You're trying to win a national championship. So it's not like a purely developmental environment like it would be you know, when you first get into pro ball. But are, what, you, what are you personally hoping to improve in your game, either pitching or hitting this spring? Um, pitching, definitely going through the order and getting guys out, sticking out a plan, you know, multiple times through the lineup. And then with that, uh, if something goes wrong, you know, I'm not feeling a pitch, you know, the scouting report's wrong, whatever it is, you know, going off that and, and being able to adjust. So really the pitching side, it's just developing my process, um, just because starting as is a relatively new thing for me. And I, hopefully that's, that's what I'm going to be doing in, in, uh, you know, professional baseball and, you know, hopefully in, in the major leagues. And so just developing that skill and developing the, you know, the ability to get hitters out in multiple ways, I think is going to be the big thing on the pitching side for me. And then hitting, I would say just, you know, continue to take better at bats, you know, be super competitive in the box and, you know, just try to catch as many barrels as I can. Not, you know, not, not swing and miss, uh, to be honest. So yeah, I would say those are the, the two things for my game. Paul, we, we kind of talked a, a bit about the, the depth of this team you're on now, uh, and it's already been tested a bit with the, the recent news, the, you know, the injury to, to Grant Taylor, you're you know, slated to be your weekend rotation mate. What, uh, what, what's been the reaction to that you know, kind of in, in the proverbial clubhouse, and, and how do you think you guys are going to be able to respond? I, I guess this will be the first test of, of some of that depth pitching-wise anyway. Yeah, to be honest, um, I think a lot of us knew something like that was going to happen. Not necessarily someone getting hurt, but you can't have a perfect season, right? So, you know, we're, we're number one right now, but we're probably not going to be number one for the rest of the season. Um, adversity is just something that's going to happen. Grant seems to be in a good, you know, headspace right now. That's obviously, that's heartbreaking, especially in his draft year. Something that, you know, he, he could have pitched on the weekends for us. He would have pitched in a lot of big games, a lot of big innings. And so, you know, I, I really feel for him on that end just because, I mean, he's a guy that does everything right and it just happened to him. But bottom line is somebody else is going to have to step up, somebody else that we may not have anticipated, you know, two months ago, three months ago. But And, and you know, how it looks in February isn't necessarily how it's going to look in June too. So, but we know all that. Obviously, you can't you can't test adversity. Uh, you can't practice adversity until you're you're in it. And I think this is that's the first test. But the locker room, you know, going around the locker room, we obviously feel for Grant because that's that's heartbreaking for all of us. But uh, I, I, I think, you know, we all feel that we're in a good spot still uh, with our depth on the mound and, you know, what we have at the plate as well to win games. Paul, I always like to ask guys, who's the best opponent you face? So I guess I'll make it a two-part question for you. Um, who's the best hitter you've faced? And then also as a hitter, who's the best pitcher you faced? And inter-squad games can count if you want to count players you faced at LSU in the fall. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Hitters, I think uh, it's got to be done. I've gotten him out like three times, I feel like, in, in my career. His, I mean, the first time I ever, first time I faced him was my first college outing, and I gave up a freaking nuke. <laughs> um, I, think he, I think he hit at 110, like to the right of the scoreboard in left field. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a reason he's he's where he's at right now. The pitching side, it's got to be Grant. 
we have, I mean, we have some arms. I, I, I faced Ty Floyd a lot, and he wasn't a fun at bat. And I faced Grant like twice in the fall, but it, like his stuff was just different. I feel like just an electric fastball and the curveball and slider were like power, power pitches. So, yeah, I mean, he's probably the best arm I've, I've faced. I think we now know the real truth. That's the headline out of this. Paul Skeens transferred to LSU so he wouldn't have to face LSU again. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 Paul's being a little modest, though. What he what he didn't say was he did give up the home run to Dylan Cruz, but he did get the save as Air Force beat LSU in that game 6-5. So. Yeah. I, I wanted to finish up, uh, Paul, and we really appreciate the time, but something that, that caught my eye that was really interesting, you know, there's been a lot of talk in, in college sports uh, of late in, in terms of NILs, you know, name, image, and likeness. Uh, so college athletes can receive financial compensation, but you've decided uh, to donate any, any monies that you, that you get through that um, to, to a charitable organization that's important to you. Can you tell us about that organization and, and how you decided to, to make that decision? Yeah. Um, leaving the Air Force Academy was a, a tough decision. And I knew that wherever I wanted to go or wherever I was going to go, um, I wanted to kind of give something back to the community that helped me get where I am. And so uh, Folds of Honor is a is an organization that uh, Air Force baseball is pretty heavily involved with. Um, we had two baseball players pass away in the last couple of years. A 2018 grad, Travis Wilkie, who wore number 20 at the Air Force Academy. He was a catcher. I met him on one of my visits. I mean, just absolutely crazy an insane dude but he's the right type of guy that you would want you know protecting american citizens so air force academy baseball team every year now votes on somebody to wear the number 20 and so i'm, I'm wearing number 20 over here at lsu kind of just recognizing him and you know the air force baseball team and then number 25 nick duran he was a uh junior or going into his junior year he was he was a year above me and uh he was flying home over over summer break um he had a plane you know a privately owned plane and he crashed it and died a dude that you know, had a huge heart and just wanted to fly in the Air Force and do some awesome stuff overseas and obviously isn't getting to, to do that as a cadet. And uh, he, he wore number 25 while he was at the Air Force Academy, another catcher. And so Folds of Honor uh, is, is involved with both of their families and they do, you know, some charity work at the Air Force Academy, uh, like, you know, a golf tournament, that kind of thing. And one of the people that runs the the charity, I went to school with with her son. So uh, it's a it's a pretty personal thing for me to to be involved with them. Um, and so it, it was kind of a no brainer to to be involved with Folds of Honor. Um, and I just wanted to do something that was going to raise some money, raise some awareness, um, and kind of give them some of the support that I, that I feel they deserve. And so I think I announced that like a week ago. I've already raised like thirty five hundred dollars, which is really cool. That's great. Very cool. Uh, uh idea by you and paul thanks very much for joining us uh best of luck this season we really appreciate you taking the time yes sir thank you very much that is paul Skeens of lsu baseball the number one ranked team in the country and paul number four on our top 100 draft prospects list we are going to take a break when we come back we're going to talk about some prospects we think will be making a buzz a couple years from now that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline, a podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and thanks very much to Paul Skeens for joining us there. Uh, pleasure talking to him. Um, let's look ahead a couple years into the future and make some predictions about some team number one prospects. Who are some prospects we, that are going to be generating buzz two years from now? We do this each year around the time that we put out the top 100 prospects list, we take a look farther ahead into the future to see who we think will be ranked number one for their teams. A couple years ago when we did this, like we said uh, in the intro, we these guys did a pretty good job. Gunnar Henderson, Francisco Alvarez, Jordan Walker, Anthony Volpe, Marcelo Meyer, uh, some of the picks then, um, and they're currently in the top 10 of our top 100 prospects list. Uh, Diego Cartaya, Jackson Job, Colson Montgomery, Tyler Soderstrom. More examples. Um, one of them is is not on the top 100 prospects list now, and that's because he's gone ahead and won the National League Rookie of the Year, uh, which you guys didn't project that. He, he exceeded expectations, Michael Harris. Just a little bit. Yeah. All right, so let's look ahead to 2025. We have a story up on MLB.com slash pipeline. You can see the prediction for each team. We're not going to go through each one, but let's focus on a couple guys, uh, a hitter and a pitcher for each of you who is not currently in the top 100 prospects list. So somebody that uh, it wouldn't be an obvious pick as some of them are. Uh, Jackson Holiday is the obvious choice for the Orioles. Uh, who who else? Uh, Drew Jones them? would Drew be Jones. A- yeah. So let's let's focus on some guys not on the top 100 currently. Jonathan, give us a pitcher. Now I'm going to go to the uh, the international market and uh, say that the A's number one prospect will be Luis Morales. Uh, he was number five on our top 50 international prospects list, uh, put together uh, so well by our colleague Jesse Sanchez. He got $3 million to sign. He's not your typical or as typical uh, of a, an international signee. He's not you know, 16 or 17. He's already 20. Uh, legitimate four-pitch mix, a fastball up to 97. Uh, I paused for a second when I was deciding uh, for, for, for this story because I'm like, well, could he get to the big leagues that fast? And I think he could, but I, it sounds like they're going to – start out with him very cautiously. He'll probably pitch in the Dominican Summer League, and uh, then he's going to need time. So I think uh, opening day 2025, which is what we're looking at, he will still be a prospect. And, uh, you know, this is uh, a guy who I think will move pretty quickly, but will still be there 
with the thought that some of the 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 hitters that are you know on the A's list currently, like a Tyler Soderstrom, will have you know, long since graduated off, and uh, Morales will be the clear choice. All right, Jim, how about your pitcher? I'm going to go with uh, Noah Schultz of the White Sox, uh, one of the more intriguing first-round picks in last year's draft. He barely pitched in the spring. He came down with mono, only pitched about four or five innings at, a, at his Illinois high school. And there was a lot of thought, like, oh, this guy's definitely headed to Vanderbilt, and he pitched in a – to kind of show, I think, his desire to play pro ball, he pitched in a college summer league and pitched well. The White Sox took him in the first round. Yeah, and, and you know the, the lazy comparison on him from a physical standpoint as a six foot nine left hander with a low arm angle is Randy Johnson, and you know he's not throwing. He doesn't throw nearly as hard as Randy Johnson, though he he has touched ninety seven with his fastball and short stints. Um, and he's got the makings of a wipeout slider, but uh, the, the thing that's intriguing is for a guy who's that big and that young, you often see pitchers struggle to keep you know long arms and legs and sink and throw strikes and those guys are usually more wild more often than not and that's not Noah Schultz he he does a pretty nice job of repeating his delivery and throwing strikes he's I'm not I'm not I'm not saying he's gonna be better than Randy Johnson but he's definitely more advanced than Randy Johnson was at the same stage of his career because Randy Johnson just got shelled in college baseball because he didn't throw many strikes um so it's gonna be fun to watch Noah Schultz develop He, he his angle is so low, and he's got so much break on his slider. I, I don't know how lefty ever hits his slider, guys, because it seems like the ball's coming out of like you know the first baseman, and then sweeps across the plate. And he he makes you know obviously hitters are going to get a lot better than what we saw him on the showcase circuit, but he just makes lefties look like they have no chance against his slider. So I, I'm very curious to see how he develops. All right, so two guys we have not seen throw a professional pitch yet. Um, one of them not on his team's top 30 list in Morales because uh, he'll well, be ineligible. Yeah, just just signed and will be added um, when we put out the preseason 2023 top 30 list for the A's. And then Schultz uh, finished the 2022 season number three on the White Sox list. Uh, how about hitters, guys? Jonathan. I'm going to go to the 2022 draft and uh, pick Justin Crawford, Carl's son, was the Phillies' first rounder last year? Uh, not surprisingly, he he runs really really well. It's plus plus speed, makes a ton of contact. Uh, it's been you know hit over power profile, and will continue to to do that. I think the one question with uh, with Justin Crawford is how much is he going to impact the uh, the ball? And he's already added some strength and some good weight, so I, I think there's going to be more extra base pop uh right out of the gate this year than people expected now i don't i don't know that he's ever going to be a even a 20 homer guy uh, but i think he's going to drive the ball uh he can play center field uh so not only am i predicting that he's going to be their number one prospect in two years you know with the assuming that andrew painter and and mick gable have graduated off uh, off the list but i think justin crawford is going to be on our top 100 list before this season is over. All right. He finished the 2022 season number three on the Phillies list. Uh, Jim, your hitter. Uh, I'm going to go with Averson Artiaga of the Giants. Uh, he signed for, when he signed for a million dollars out of Venezuela back in 2019. I think scouts looked at him as more of kind of like a, a slick fielder, 
you know, the, the defense definitely stood out over the bat. And the defense is still really good. He's got good actions. He covers ground to both sides. His hands are quick. He's got a strong arm so he can make every throw from every angle. He remains a no-doubt shortstop. Good internal clock, too. And I think what's been kind of a surprise is how quickly he's taken to hitting professional pitching. You know, he because of the pandemic, he didn't make his pro debut until 2021. He led the Arizona Complex League in RBIs. He was second extra base hits in total bases, uh, third in home runs. This year he went to, or I guess it's not this year anymore, last year. Uh, he was 19 years old in, in single A. He hit 270 with 14 home runs. Again, you know, I think he was second or third in the league in extra base hits. And, you know, he's a plus runner. He's learning how to steal bases. So we, we could be talking about a no-doubt shortstop who is also a 2020 guy at the plate. Like the offense, it, the offensive ceiling is definitely higher than what it was when they signed him. Uh, so he's an exciting prospect. And, and he's a guy who I think – if he continues to develop like he has, I think he's a guy who could force his way onto the top 100 prospects list at some point this year. All right. But the guarantee is that these guys will be their team's number one prospects two guarantee. years from now. Guarantee. So mark, yes. mark it down. Uh, again, there's a, a story up on MLB.com slash pipeline where you can check out uh, the predicted number one prospect for each team uh, in 2025. All right. Let's answer a question from the mailbag, which comes from... Sports Watcher at 2000s Sports on Twitter. 2023 draft look ahead. Just by looking at the tools, Wyatt Langford seems to have better tools than Dylan Cruz, despite being ranked number three. Cruz is number one. How big is the gap currently? And when's the last time there were two 60 future value college bats to lead off the year? Well, it's not as uncommon as you might have thought and i guess it's some of it's a little bit of a cautionary tale jim right you know if you look back at the at the list but uh the last time we had two uh it was in 2020 with spencer torkelson and austin martin uh now i'm looking at whatever our grades were i guess when we got to the draft so i can't speak to like at the start of the season i'm going to assume that that didn't change that much uh but uh spencer torkelson and austin martin uh in 2020 uh, Adley Rushman and uh, Andrew Vaughn in 2019, Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman. It's a good combo right there in 2015. Uh, looking at future grades, which we had in 2013, Chris Bryant and Colin Moran back in 2013. So it's uh, it's happened kind of uh, not infrequently. Uh, as for the first part of the question, I actually don't think that there is that much separating Wyatt Langford and Dylan Cruz. Uh, we certainly got enough feedback that uh, Cruz should be the number one guy, um, you, you know, on on the list. Uh, but I also had a couple of scouts who told me that they thought that Wyatt Langford might end up being better than Dylan Cruz and going ahead of Dylan Cruz when all is said and done. Uh, just because of some of those uh, those tools. But uh, I think we have to wait and see what happens. Uh, Wyatt Lankford's going to play center field this year, I think, if he shows that, then that will close the gap uh, even more. Jim, what do, what do you think about the the distance between those two? Yeah, no, I, I think they're very close. I don't. I, I will quibble with, with uh, Sports Watcher. I, I don't really think Wyatt Lankford has better til- tools than Dylan Cruz. I think they're pretty similar across the board, to be honest with you. I mean, I know when we were doing our draft list, 
I think the way we separated them essentially was was one, you know, Cruz has done it for two years in college and Lankford has done it for once. There's a little bit more track record with Cruz, who was also a bigger time prospect going back to high school. I mean, you know, White Lankford had four at-bats as a, as a freshman at Florida while Dylan Cruz was starting at LSU. So that was one way. And then two, at least scouts I talked to felt like Cruz had a better chance to play center field than Lankford, but also that it's probably a moot point because realistically, like they might be capable of playing center, but at the big league level, you probably want somebody with more range. They're probably both going to be corner guys in the long run anyway. But yeah, I, I think they're, I think they're neck and neck. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of neck and neck battles in this year's draft going in. I mean, I don't think there's a lot separating Cruz and and Langford on the high school side. You know, we mentioned before. I don't think there's a whole lot separating Max Clark and, and Walker Jenkins. And then even on the college pitching side, I mean, I, I do feel like like Chase Dolander is the best pitching prospect in college baseball. You know, going back to to Garrett Cole in 2011 or Steven Strasburg in 2009, but. You know the guy we talked to today, Paul Skeens, looks so good in the fall. You know, you know, we want we need to see it play out over a full college season. But the scouts I talked to said, "Look, if he if he throws like that all year, he's going to be right there with Chase Dolander too." So it's a lot of a lot of battle royale, uh, battles royale, I guess, uh, as we head into the season. The uh, scouting grades on Cruz and Langford across the board hit. Uh, for for Dylan Cruz, hit 60, power 60, run 55, arm 55, field 50. And then for Langford, hit 60, power 65, run 55, arm 50, and field 50. So really just the uh, the power tool there, uh, a notch ahead of Cruz is maybe where... And even that, to be honest, I'll go ahead and quibble with our own grades. <laughs> like, Stop quibbling I with gone yourself. To- I, I I could have gone sixty five on on Cruz too, and, and I held. Up. I mean, their power is is very very similar. All right, the quibbler. Thanks very much to Sports Watcher for bringing out the inner quibbler and in Jim, uh, and thanks very much again to LSU's Paul Skeens for joining us. That is going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. Let's go watch some college baseball, and we'll see you next week.